Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the Northampton Town Audio Show, the podcast equivalent of a Kevin Thornton finger to the lips in front of a cop end. I'm Tom Reed and huddling around their mics at the start of another lockdown are Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney, Ian Brandt and Jefferson Lake. How's it going guys? You alright? Not too bad, thanks. Not bad. How are yourself? Yeah, yeah. yeah good stuff. Good stuff, mate. It's just uh, it's good to hear you back after you were away last week and we've just been looking at a few football moments of the week we'll start with Andy actually it's, it's good to see you back at work doing what you do best with some commentary on Japanese football this week Andy how's that gone uh yeah it was most enjoyable actually uh down at IMG doing a bit of J-League world feed um yeah nice to get back in the saddle in a way what match were you covering or were you probably a few wasn't it, it was uh well I thought you recorded it you've been watching it back ever since <laughs> um Shimizu S Pulse against Uroa Reds yeah there's there's great names and great kits and uh just just great scenes all around in the J League she's very well behaved over there you, you never get any aggro you know so players get booked and um you know almost bowing and stuff it's it's, it's very well behaved in Japan <laughs> So what was your football moment of the week, Andy? Uh, well, I've just thought of one, actually, coming from Japan. Kazu Miura, who played for Yokohama FC at 53. Unbelievable wow. scenes. You know, that, that, man is, that man is two years older than Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> <laughs> and two centuries further on. Yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> In all sorts of ways, he's centuries ahead of the guy. <laughs> I think if Neil Grayson could still keep going to, well, he's about 50, wasn't he? Well, uh, I think the Japanese guy will be able to do it too. And I'm just wondering if, if you know, I don't know if, you know, cast aspersions or generalise about the Japanese culture, but they, are, they do tend to be fairly polite. I just wondered if they're just a bit too polite to tell him, you, you should retire now, mate, or he could he turn up every week with his kit. Like, well, there is, there's a strong sort of caste system in Japan, isn't there? You don't, disrespect, you don't challenge your elders. Uh, uh, certainly that's the, way, that's the way in corporate culture. So, um, you know, but yeah, maybe it's like that in the squad ranks too. He'll probably end up rock up at Cobblers when he's about 65. So let's not, let's not disparage him. Exactly. Do a job in midfield. <laughs> That's a good word, yeah. Andy. That's a good story from Japanese football. We don't hear many of them. Martin, how are you getting on, mate? Are you uh, mourning the end of the baseball season? Uh, nah, no, we're not mourning. We, we, to be fair, we, I think we nailed it with when to start with when the restrictions dropped. And we just... 
We just finished the season on Sunday. Uh, the team that won the league won nine and lost three. The team finished bottom. They they had a win as well. Everyone else in between. So yeah, we're pre- pretty happy with it. And um, have you got any rivalries going with any clubs? Have you got any like bitter rivalries where you? Uh... Uh, you have clubs you play more often. I mean, but none of the rivalries are like dislike. Uh, our biggest rivals are probably with Birmingham, who we used to play with in when we played it as a Midlands League. Right, I'm going to I'm going to assign you a rivalry. It's the Brentford St- Brentwood Stags. I just hate them, mate. They just, <laughs> yeah, all right, nasty, mate. So you're going to have to just take that on now, all right? Just take the mantle. They're, they're, they're trying to pay for being called the uh, Brentwood Slags. So there's your first thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that one to work with, all right? You promised me you're going to take that on. <laughs> uh, hey, let's revisit this in a few weeks because um, I might, might have an interesting story for you. Okay, good, good stuff. So, what's your football moment of the week, Martin? Have you been keeping your ear to the ground? It's um, mine is much more mundane, and it's probably one that we all shared, which was Joe Martin. So, yeah, yeah. left back signed on a free. He was pretty decent, and then on an October night, I think last season, four four two weren't working at Carlisle. We switched to three at the back. He was sacrificed, as I recall, and was on the bench ever since. No word at all of him being not a good guy. You'd imagine if an offer came in, he'd have been on his way. Bides his time, injury crisis hits, and we're playing 4-4-2. We've run out of centre-halves. Yep. And he only goes and has an absolute stormer. Mm. And he's kind of, I think, from what Curl and what him have both said, he added a bit with having like a, a genuinely left-sided centre-half that was yeah. able to, you know, give other people room for movement, that it might turn out to be a thing that only happened by accident, but it's probably going to benefit us going going forward. So, yeah, I think my, my moment of the week, a mundane one, I probably won't come much more mundane than who the cobblers picked, but Joe Martin. I like that one, Martin. And actually, when you look at him, he actually looks a bit more like a centre-back in his physique. He's not really the sort of type that looks more like a wing-back. I think he's he actually a, looks t- like a Tall and skinny, isn't he? So he, yeah. he looks like a centre-half who was a centre-forward you'd want to bully. Yeah. And as a full-back, you almost, you expect a full-back to be a bit more like a winger. Yeah. He's, he's maybe a man out of time. But he might be, you know, come of the hour, come of the man. So we'll keep an eye on him and hopefully he can, with our injury problems, he can keep it going, especially against Hull on Saturday, which is going to be a hell of a challenge, I think. But that's a really good one, Martin. And even though you say it's a bit mundane, it's actually quite a good nuanced observation now. So Ian, Ian's actually outsourced his, uh, his podcast to Serco. Uh, so that's why the uh, sound quality on this thing's never not quite so good sometimes. <laughs> How are you doing, Ian? You all right, mate? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. Are you uh, charging us 56 grand a minute, aren't you, for your service? Yeah, you'll have to get some Patreon uh, money in to, to fund uh, this. <laughs> out, as I've discussed, been outsourced to uh, Serco, a lovely chap who owns that company I went to public school with over at um, Quinton House. I didn't really go to Quinton House. Dustin Eldine. Actually, I shouldn't have said that. It's bitter rivals of Jeff's... Um, primary lower school so uh, yeah i don't want any bad blood on the podcast we're all cobblers here mm, you're rylands as well weren't you yeah rylands yeah rylands, rylands yeah again and then i oh, know but then you all end up in the same upper school so it's yeah all, you know, yeah once you get that sort of first year out of the way it's um 
you know, all the bad blood's gone and you're all on the same team then and you have like you look further afield then, don't you, to like to NSB and Kingsaw Purpose School or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your football moment of the week, Ian? What have you been keeping your Scott, eye? Scott Pollock's old team, hashtag United in the FA Cup. Um, if there's ever sort of a, there's ever sort of a, a, a match that sort of sums up Britain in, in, in football in 2020, it's that one. It's a team, from what I can work out, I think it sort of started as like a, as a sort of a celebrity thing, a bit like that soccer AM team they used to have that used to travel around playing other teams as celebrities. And then it was all like organised through a guy that basically just created his own YouTube Sunday league team. And it's yeah. just sort of, I didn't realise how kind of, much it's it's just snowballed it's like they've actually qualified for the fa cup they're in the fa cup qualifiers they've got a you know play a, 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 a non-league rounder i think it's essex way and um yeah they they they, they were on the red button on on a tuesday night and uh, came from behind to win on penalties in front of a crowd because there was a crowd allowed there because of the tier they're at obviously the, the types of fans you can imagine a, a team um of youtubers <laughs> It was the same lads who probably bought tickets for that KSI um, boxing match. Um, so, you know, like, you know, I mean, we're all, you know, we're all old men compared to these lads. I have got no problem with them whatsoever, by the way. I think fair play to them. But, you know, like, there's this thing called the side men. And, yeah, they're, they're basically, um, it's all about FIFA, isn't it? And, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, they, they win on penalties. But, you know, again, sort of reflecting 2020, they're... There was no social distancing going on at the end for that penalty shootout. <laughs> the commentators were sort of trying to make excuses. <laughs> there was a lot of excitement in the air. <laughs> Next thing, like they all just legged it down to the uh, to the goal to the end. That the penalty shootout was taken, and and fair play to the lads. You know, when when the winning penalty went in, they were all going mad. And, and 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 you know, in a way, that is actually what the FA Cup is all about, isn't it? <laughs> but it's just yeah. bizarre when you know the, the pretty much the same night, the rest of the country is being told, yeah. Um, the groups of six that you've got to stay in isn't even enough and then like yeah over in Essex there's like whatever 80 like YouTube fans jumping all over each other celebrating in the FA Cup it was um, yeah an interesting sight it was and uh, I think they played Soham Town actually um, I think they, they did Soham yeah Town. they did they played so- Soham Rangers was it I think yeah, I can't. I can't repeat the joke that uh, Jake Moore made in the in the group chat about that that <laughs> fixture between so and so. Just use your own. Just use your own. Uh, use your own imagination. But for me, for me, hashtag United. Like one minute I'm like, oh, you know, fair play to him. They're sort of to use a really punchy business term, disrupting the industry and you know finding their own way through. And the next minute I'm thinking, nah, oh, they're a bunch of bad bad weapons. So I'm like, uh, I think I think at the moment I'll I'll be I'll, I'll be positive and feel that they're at least they're doing something interesting, I guess. But yeah. Uh, their fans are just their fans are just purely it's just pure youthful enthusiasm and puberty. Yeah, you know, and isn't that how we all get into football when we're young lads? So you can't think well <laughs> fair enough for me. That's a that's a good moment, Ian, and we'll see how how well hashtag do. I can I'm, I can imagine there's a glass ceiling, unless they do a really big Patreon account, you know, KSI or whatever, tweets it and they get the biggest Patreon account in history and like get the club to the Premier League. I just don't. I think there must be a glass ceiling for them, so they probably won't get too much further. So we'll let them let them go. Uh, Jeff, good to have you back, mate. What's your football moment of the week? Um, I've got quite a, a, a serious one as well, but just because um, uh, Ian there mentioned the KSI Logan Paul boxing match, 
most people that will sound like um you know a foreign language to people you've probably never heard of that was actually it, i can't remember if it was just for that year or if it's all time but it's one of the biggest um boxing matches for sky sports box office there's ever been in terms of revenue yeah, yeah um sure. to the to the massive annoyance of pretty much everyone at sky who treats boxing as a serious sport you know the fact these two youtubers can draw a bigger crowd than actual boxers uh, was uh, was quite big but anyway a sign of the times perhaps that um so my football moment of the week so i i was actually uh i was working earlier this week um and i got given a story to do which was uh, a statement came through from qpr which was um basically qpr when they played coventry city uh, over the weekend i think it was friday the qpr players didn't take a knee before the game yeah. Uh, QPR released a very long statement. I'm not going to read the whole statement. You're pleased to hear uh, it's out there if people want it. But something in it that um, Les Ferdinand said was the taking of the knee has reached a point of good PR, but little more than that. The message has been lost it is now not dissimilar to a fancy hashtag or a nice pin badge. Taking the knee will not bring cha about change in the game. Actions will. I just thought that was brilliant. I like I, I'm really sort of anti uh tokenism uh, a perfect a perfect summary of how i feel about all things like that is if you just listen to the song flag day by house Mart the house martins it just sums it up completely so that's some, some listening for the listeners to take away with them because in the states you know the the actions of nba and wnba players has led to uh, basketball arenas being used as voter registration centres and actual yeah. polling centres so people can go and vote and are encouraged to sort of take a you know people that perhaps historically haven't voted and from sort of demographics that haven't voted are being encouraged to go and be involved in that process uh, to bring about some change or at least to kind of have an influence on uh, potential change uh, but like you know just if loads of players just start, and, it, and it really is like a complete token gestures. They they take the knee for about three seconds mm -hmm. before a match, and then the match starts, and that's it. And we just forget about it. So yeah, go and read the full the full statement from Sir Les because I just thought it was brilliant. And that's my moment yeah. of the week, a, a, a rare moment of um, sincerity from me there. I promise you that'll be the last for this episode. I'll <laughs> I'll stick to the irreverent silliness from this point onwards. And you get to listen to the House Martins as well. So that's all. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It actually leads on to my football moment of the week, actually, from a, you know, a fairly nuanced discussion of uh, quite a complicated subject to a absolute shit heap of a uh, point <laughs> by Sean Dyche, one of our own, really, in Northamptonshire. <laughs> he's actually from Northampton. I'm going to actually distance myself from him on this point. I think he's actually from Kettering or somewhere. You just play him on the couch, look at him. But he uh, had a chance to talk about the um, the Premier League basically bailing out stricter low league clubs, which could be cobblers you know, for all intents and purposes in the next few months. And he had a good chance to make a point about it. And uh, he just made he just made a really daft comparison with um, hedge funds. And I'll just I'll just read it. I'll read it from um, from the article. So Sean Dyche said, if the Premier League can do their bit to enhance the chance of other teams surviving and when that is needed, possibly they'll step in, he said. But if you're going to employ that rule of thumb, does that mean that every hedge fund manager that is incredibly successful, are they going to filter that down to the hedge fund managers that are not so successful? There's lots of different businesses out there making huge sums of money that could therefore pr protect similar lines of businesses, but lower down. If you're going to apply it to football, I think you have to apply it across the country to everyone and every business. Now, I'm just thinking to myself, like, 
Sean, you don't need to be talking about this really, mate. Just get on with bloody managing um, <laughs> Burnley for starters. And, you know, if you're going to make a point about... I was, I was confused, like, if he was making a subtle point about the redistribution of money in society or just being an ass. And I'm venturing with the latter on this one, like, hedging my bets, so to speak. Because, um, like, if he's actually keen on redistribution of money in society and football, let's hear it in his, like, weekly press conferences. Let's see him stand up and be counted on it outside of the current situation. But it's like, otherwise, just shut up. And obviously, I would say, face. I would never say <laughs> face. I've seen it. Yeah. Think I but... I think it's it's time for him to shut up on it. And I think it's the time for the Premier League to shut up and just do the right thing now and bail the football pyramid out. Because there's there's all these sort of weasel words out there. We might do this, we might do that. And it's getting worse and worse, worse by the day. And it's just time now. Do the right thing in the Premier League. There's a lot of things they've done wrong in football. This is a good chance for them to make up for it. So if you're listening, CEO of Paramount, his name, Richard Masters, I think it is. Do you know what that was, that was like for me, uh, Tom, re- reading yeah. that? Because I think we're all probably aware of that. It's like... We- when you see some of Peter Schilt's tweets, yeah, no, I, I can't unsee that now. Oh yeah. no, but I just want that memory to be preserved of you being sort of having your snazzy kit in the 80s and you know, sort of being a bit of a legend and a hero. And oh, now I've just read, I'll give Boris a chance. Oh no, I can't unsee <laughs> it. Do you know what I yeah. mean? It's a bit like that reading that statement. I know exactly what you mean, and that is brilliantly and articulately put. I thought. They, they they just go down in your estimation in one fell swoop when they don't need even need to be talking about it. I guess that's I guess they get they get questions put to them in in press conferences and maybe they have to think about you know their club and you know, the finances of the football club. But at the same time, yeah, but it was, it, was the, it was the hedge it was the hedge fund analogy that rankled, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure how many Burnley fans that will strike a chord with. Well, to be honest, might. yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is probably a realistic concern of. Clubs that aren't so rich in the Premier League, then can they afford to pitch in to to a fund or whatever? But I think that you know there, there comes a time where, like I said, you just have to do the right thing. There will there will be money that, that can be put to a, a fund, and it's just getting without the Premier League. I say this all the time. Without the sorry, without the football league and the non-league, the Premier League is nothing. It's called the Premier League because it stands alone as the best league in the pyramid. Otherwise, it's just a league, isn't it? When everyone else dies off, and it's it will be nothing. So the Premier League league needs to realise that. That it's it's a place of a pinnacle of a pyramid, and it needs to put to put that money in now to preserve the, you know this beautiful thing, which is the which which I speak to to with foreign fans and like German fans that love this football pyramid, and and it makes yeah. the Premier League reflect, doesn't it, in the glory of everyone else. We'll keep an eye on on that situation. I just felt I just felt yeah, Sean Dyche, you know, mate, just 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 have a little think about it next time because it just came across quite class, but. Sort of one of those things. Um, let's move on to uh, a little news roundup of the cobblers. We'll do this pretty quickly. Um, some people have keep, been keeping an eye on this story for the redevelopment. Some people haven't, and I'm, I'll, I'll just give you honestly from what I can sort of ascertain from the whole thing. So this week, or maybe last week, just quite recently, there was uh, a news report that there was like been a fall in the relations between the sports trust and the club uh, board on uh, David Plowers, David Bowers' plans for the redevelopment of Sixfields and an associated landfill. So it was, it was announced this week the trust have agreed to back uh, Bowers and the board's plans to complete the East Stand at Sixfields via an, an enabling deal, which means stuff built basically behind the East Stand on the land uh, that goes quite far back there. So that will pay for the stand. So I've seen a couple of fans asking what the plans actually are because and when they'll be put on official public display and 
that remains to be seen because they still haven't been put on official public display like they would normally. It's still that's still quite dragging on. So from 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 a fan's perspective, I guess the main questions are, you know, what facilities are the club going to get out of a land deal and a redevelopment, uh, especially in terms of you know non game time income? Because I think Cardozo was allegedly planning on a hotel to bring money in outside the game. So that's sort of a question. And then another question is like, what will the capacity be of the new stand and et cetera, et cetera. So like basically what the facilities are. Um, I think if you, you know, sum things up, you could argue that the agreement between the club and the trust is itself a lot, a bit of a sideshow to the real business of getting a land deal past the council. Um, because the trust itself reported in August in one of its uh, statements that there was, uh, they've spoken to the council, but there is no prospect of a deal being reached by September. That was one of the uh, deadlines that was mentioned, but that's passed now. And there might be insurmountable, insurmountable obstacles to achieving it, like full stop. Um, the, the trust said in their statement that the football club, uh, that the council said that the football club should bear the cost of the stand expenditure, and if agreed, this would unlock the wider land deal. The chief executive of the council, according to the trust, reported uh, that you, and that's the club board, have made it clear that you will not spend any of your own money on completing the stand without the prospect of this outlay being recovered. Now, sorry for blinding you with all that information, but um, it basically, it seems to be the council are saying, you know, stand first and then land after. Now, there hasn't been a public challenge to the point that the, the trust made back in August from the club publicly. I haven't seen, I'm happy to be corrected on that. So it'd just be interesting to see how the so-called insurmountable obstacles can be overcome to finish the, the stand, you know, if they do even exist. And I, I think the, the main point about this overall is that, you know, the Buckingham Group, who's supposed to build the stand and it, it's stalled, have just finished the Brentford Stadium, this beautiful new stadium, and uh, just about to finish Wimbledon's new stadium, all in the time that these standards, with its fairly measly capacity, is standard, standard uh, stood empty, which, you know, doesn't reflect well on anyone, doesn't it? And I guess the even bigger question for that is, given Luton Town, and Peterborough are both well through the planning stage for their new stadiums and they're pushing about 20,000 for their new stadiums. Are we going to be left behind in terms of the infrastructure of cobblers? Because um, our nearest rivals, Luton, Posh, you could even argue Coventry, um, MK are going to are going to whole new levels of their stadium and we've got still got fairly limited capacity. So are we going to be left behind? And I'm, I fear that might be the case, but it's important to say that it's not the fault of the current owners particularly because got to look at the Cardozers and the damage they've done the football club back in the day and I think sort of shit may have sailed back in those days to try and really push the club on in terms of its you know stadium and infrastructure um sorry for boring everyone on that one but it's just important because people are asking questions on it and I don't really see any real analysis anywhere in the press so that might clear a few few things up um Ian you're probably fast asleep now you probably outsource this actual conversation to Serco China oh well all that talk of pyramids is Given me an idea to fund all this, a pyramid scheme. In that okay. the, the perfect um, the timing's interesting, isn't it? Like obviously there's no fans coming in like potentially this year, yeah. maybe next year. Um, probably not gonna have a full stadium. So if we if there was ever a point in the last decade where we didn't need to expand the ground, it's now. But yeah. this whole this whole thing gets kind of labelled as a as a stadium expansion, but obviously the people that pay for all this stuff uh, want to get some money from a potential land deal. So I think that might have something to do with the timing of it. Uh, you know, I live in the real world and everything, um, but 
that's you know I find all that interesting. But I think you're right with regards to um, yeah, um, look look at other team stadiums and and and, and what they've you know, what they've managed to do. And, and you know, we haven't seen anything, have we? We haven't. I'm, I'm glad the trust and the, um, and the, and the owners, um, you know, come to an agreement. And I'm glad things are moving on there. I think that's always healthy. But yeah. it will be interesting to see what happens next. And will we, get, will we get to see a nice CGI drawing of a stand that might never get built or might get built? Do you think they might re- reincarnate there? And do you remember uh, Cardozo had this man plans of like a thing on stilts that came out of the West End and they built the holes for it in the ground and then it got... <laughs> I remember my dad joking when they built six fields down there, I remember him saying, oh, is that land safe? Won't the goalpost be sinking into the ground? And then obviously um, it was that Fulham game, wasn't it? When the, uh, when the goalie like, took a step back to, to take his goal kick and he put his foot in the hole where the rugby league posts when mm. or no it was the nf it was the american football team wasn't it they played there and he put his foot in that hole and my dad was saying look it's happening they filled it up didn't they at half time they did but, yeah. do you remember do you remember who scored the fulham's winning goal in a one nil win that day it's a free kick uh no. pesca Solido? i'm just guessing no, it was mickey adams oh <laughs> Do you remember Dean Peer bundling one in um, in the run-up to it would have been that 97-98 season? Kevin Keegan was manager, Ray Wilkins was the assistant, and it was it would it would have been an April match, I think, like April '98. I can't remember um, a Dean because, goal that wasn't bundled. It was it was a it was it was an industrial goal. It yeah, was just a, a massive a massive pylon in the area, and you know. <laughs> The ball the just ended up in the goals. net, and I think, yeah, I think it was a proper Atkins goal. Because when we interviewed Ian Atkins at the end of that season, he actually said that that was one of his best moments ever managing the Cobblers because he, because uh, they, he basically said at the end of that game we sent uh, Kevin Keegan down the tunnel at Sixfields, shouting at Ray Wilkins, saying that's not good enough, Ray. <laughs> and, and, that, and that was that was one of his best moments. Uh, you know, all the Wembleys and whatnot, and Bristol Rovers. That was one that he took away from his time at Six Fields. Right then, let's look forward to Saturday's match with Hull City. Appears to be joined by Hull City fan Rick Skelton, who's going to join us to talk all things Hull and the game on Saturday. Last season was one of contrast for our two clubs, Rick. We we gained promotion from League Two, while I were relegated from the championship, sort of two different trajectories. What would you say went wrong for you guys? Yeah, let's speak to you, Tom. Um, yeah. Well, I, th- I think the, the simple, the simplest way to put it is it, we sold Jared Bowen and, and Kamal Grzycki in, in January, uh, having given up all hope of promotion. Um, and nobody foresaw, I don't think, quite how drastically things would go wrong because we were not quite on the verge of the playoff. But we, we, we played Huddersfield in mid-January. Um, we were only a handful of points off the playoffs and still had a good a good chance. And uh, we, we, we got beat at home by Huddersfield. And I think that was the point where people thought, well, we're probably not going to make the playoffs now. So they cashed in on Bowen and Grzycki. Um, and then our form just fell off a cliff. And there, there, there were other aspects to it. There was there was a lot of injuries. Um, certainly before before lockdown, there was a lot of injuries. Um, and, and we got a couple of good hidings by by Brentford and by by Stoke, um, and 
that's when people started to worry. But uh, that's that that's that's certainly the tipping point. Yeah, it sounds a bit like a, one of those downward cycles that sort of clubs get themselves into sometimes. But I was looking at Jared Bowen's stats. He plays for West Ham United now, doesn't he? His stats were pretty good. I think he scored up to 17 goals before he got sold in January. So that's always going to be a massive loss, isn't it? When someone of that talent and goal ability gets sold. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he'd been our sort of our key player for for three seasons. Um, he'd sort of been here since he was, since he was a young lad. Came from uh, Hereford when when Hereford went bust. Um, sort of been in the under twenty threes, doing well. And then when when we got relegated out of the Premier League, um, which was only what three years ago, um, he, he he sort of became the real the real key player in in the team. So. I don't want to, you know, sort of go over it too much, but some of your results last season, there was that infamous eight nil of the Wigan, wasn't there? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's one of the craziest games I've ever seen, to be honest. I know we we, we went in good form um, going in. We, we we did beat Middlesbrough. I think that was our only win after lockdown, um, and we, we went in good form, but we sort of went away to Wigan, uh, and it was a bit of a six pointer, obviously, with their sort of um, points deduction hanging over them. Uh, it was a bit, bit of a six-pointer at the time and honestly, uh, never seen anything like it. They, the, the collapse, um, I think it was 7-0 at half-time. Um, it was just unbelievable. Yeah, we've. I, I guess fans of all clubs sometimes have those days where you're just whipping and I think the manager said he just needed to end. <laughs> yeah. Through. Um, that sort of leads us on to uh, Grant McCann a little bit in terms of uh, it wasn't the most popular at Hull, especially after that result. But you know, going towards <laughs> the end of the situation and stuff, and has has sort of people's opinion of him changed a little bit, or is there still a few that want him about? When you look at our results, second half of last season, we won, we beat Sheffield Wednesday on New Year's Day, and we won one more game, which. Uh, is just and the fact that he stayed after after that was was unbelievable. And to be fair to him and and and, and everybody that they've decided he's he's the guy. Um, they've backed him this summer. We we, we brought in some decent looking signings. We we started the season pretty well, uh, which I'm, I guess we'll come on to. Um, so I think it's safe to say he's got a little bit of breathing space. But I, I think there's still there's, there's nobody desperately in love with him. I guess you, it's hard to discuss, you know, the, the state of the club without sort of factoring in the owners. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Alams came in in well, it's ten years now. Um, it'll be ten years in November. They, they they came in after we'd been relegated out of the Premier League the first time, and um, we were heading for for administration. I think is 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 probably the, the case. We, we'd overspent in the Premier League. We, we, were, got, we were in big trouble. The Alams came in. Um, pretty much saved saved the club or saved the club as it was, saved the championship status, etc. Because we, we, you know, obviously administration would have brought about League One. I'm absolutely certain at that point, having just dropped out of the Premier League. So, and things went quite well. There are a few issues the first couple of years, but once we got a couple of years in, they they brought in Steve Bruce. He um, he got us promoted into the Premier League. And that was about as high as we've been in our history, if we're honest. Uh, and it was that summer that they they broached the, the subject of changing the club's name to Hull, Hull Tigers or Hull City Tigers, if if they couldn't get Hull Tigers. Um, and, and that immediately divided the fans. Um, there was a, a massive section of fans who 
absolutely hated it. Had absolutely no intention of um, giving up the club's the club's history. And then there were another section of fans who said, "Well, we're in the Premier League. Um, they, they, they're putting money in. They're putting money, they're backing Steve Bruce. They can do what they want." And um, yeah. the club's never been the same since. If if we're really honest, I mean, it was it was a sort of bitter two years through two applications to the FA. Um, so they they made an application. It was rejected. Um, they they did say originally that would be it if the FA said no, they'd move on. But then they decided to apply a second time. So there was another leg of the of the campaign to uh, sort of remain Hull City. And then um, since since that was rejected, uh, the, the Alams have never really had the same enthusiasm for it. And then since then, it's it's just been a steady decline to where we are. Um, you can see it in the gates. Um, you know, we, we had full houses at the KCOM, 20, 24,000. Um, and then last season we, we were under 10,000, which we haven't been since we're at Boothry Park in the, uh, in the nineties. So that's absolutely the state of the state of things. And we're not low now with us terrible owners all over. It's almost like a competition when we were in the premier league and we could see this decline coming. You get no sympathy because um, you got poor subs like like Coventry who were languishing in uh, in, in League Two. Did they, did they not play at your ground at one point? Um, yeah. So yeah, so, yeah. so you sort of you you you're trying to you're trying to um, drum up sympathy or you're trying to make it known on a national level what's what's going on at your club and there's and, and there's fans of these teams who are in League Two struggling with with owners going you're in the Premier League you've got no problems so um, you, you you kind of have to suffer you have to end up in League One before anybody will take you seriously. <laughs> <laughs> we've uh, we've jumped down to our level now so you're gonna have to wrap it with the. Uh... <laughs> But um, yeah, let's let's to to you, you know your season. It's, it's going to be a strange one for all of us. But you've brought a couple of new signings. I take it. Have you kept an eye on who you've brought in? Yeah, yeah. We um we signed two right backs. Uh, uh, Louis Coyle from Fleetwood, who I think was a, was a good sign, and then Josh Emmanuel, who was at Bolton. Uh, we brought in Richie Smallwood, who I think got promoted out of League One with Blackburn a couple of years ago, and and Greg Doherty from Rangers in midfield, and then. Uh, this this last couple couple of weeks we signed some wingers, so we've got a guy called Thomas Meyer, who was an Austrian, who, who was a free agent, who was a bit of an unknown, but looks decent. And then we signed uh, Hakiba Delican today, uh, on loan from Bristol City. So we we tried to get him last year when he was leaving Scunthorpe, but he went to Bristol instead. So Justin um, to play enough, he's caused right uh, caused problems <laughs> recent season. He's quite a big unit. He's around the wing I think so he's going to be a bit of a handful on Saturday I've been told a little bit about Joshua Emmanuel as a right back um he's one to look out for apparently he's an attacking right back who can yeah it started really well because we were we were quite excited about signing Louis Coyle I don't know if you know but he's he's a local lad his brother his brother's a a whole based boxer um so they're a bit of a bit of a sporting family and Obviously, Louis was at Leeds and had been a good player and he's been a great player in League One at Fleetwood. So we were quite excited to sign him. And then he, he was suspended for the start of the season. So Josh Emmanuel's played um, and he, he looks superb. So um, yeah. so there's a bit of a battle on. To be honest, I think we've got a very good League One squad. I think that, that that's part of the problem and part of the reason we got relegated is because we had a lot of good League One players last year. Um, people like Malik Wilkes and Tom Eaves and, um, done really well in League One. As a group, we're out of our depth in the championship, especially when you took away our two really good players in in, in Bowen and Grzycki. Um, You're just left with a, 
what looked a League One side. So, if you say your goal scoring threats on Saturday, you seem to play sometimes three up front, so you've got some good striking options. Who would you say hit the net if you score? Yeah, we're we're very wedded to four three three. It was one of the, one of the big issues with Grant McCann last last season was uh, when when you're losing every game and you still insist on playing the same way, uh, just frustrated everybody. So right. yeah, and we and we struggled we struggled towards the end of last season when the, when you know obviously Eves and McGuinness probably aren't Championship strikers, um, and we had we had Malik Malik Wilkes playing playing wide. So Wilkes Wilkes looks our biggest threat. He's scored in the last three games. Um, and he also looks the best option to play through the middle. So now we've signed some some new wingers, um, and, and there's better options out wide. It allows Wilkes to play through the middle. So I, I would think it would be Wilkes through the middle. Um, I think Myers Myers probably knocking on for a start. The, the guy who's come from Austria, and then uh, James Scott, the, the Scottish under-21 uh, guy we've got, he's, uh, he's he's in decent form as well. So I, I would think it might be it might be those three. Uh, and then obviously a delicate just coming in. I, I would think he'd be about the squad, and then Josh McGuinness as well. So um, yeah, some decent options. What would you say your your expectations for the season are? Because I read a couple of reviews, and I did one myself. You know, previews of the season, and you were all, all over the place in people's uh, previews. Some people had you like top three. Some people had you like outside the top ten. What would you, obviously you want to be hunting for promotion? But what would you say would is your expectations? I think that is the expectation, to be honest. I think when when you look at the, the squad that came down and what they've added to it, I think it it has to be a squad that's that's trying to get into the top two. Um, I thought originally it, it was probably a bit short, and I'm starting to get a little bit more confident now. I think the reason the reason for the massive um, the, the massive sort of variance in where we might finish is is the fact that. Uh, it, it's not just about football, is it? It's not just about the players. It's about everything. It's about momentum. It's about bottle, um, and that's what we were really missing last year. We didn't have any bottle. We didn't have any character uh, when we got into a a terrible run. We, we had nobody to dig in and get out of it. And I think that's that's probably the best thing that they've done is added personalities like Louis Coyle and like uh, Richie Smallwood, um, which seems astonishing to go into League One and then finally go and get you know a midfielder with a bit of balls um, yeah. it is ridiculous but we we didn't have that at all last year and then um we lost eric lehigh and and jackson irvine they went um at the end of july when their original contracts ran out um at the end of june sorry and that really was the sort of death knell they were the last really good experienced players that we had um who played at that level so um so i think this year we do look we do look aside set up for league one we, we we've got a manager who's, who's who's done it in league one we've got loads of players who've done it in league one we've got more character we've got more bottle um so i think we should do quite well um i just think we're at a side that when the going's got tough this last year we haven't we haven't been anywhere near so that'll be that'll be the big difference but um got, playing a lot of games in, in empty stadiums might suit us you know, I don't know. You know what League One's like. You go to these grounds, especially when you come out of the Championship. You start to go to some uh, sort of old, older style grounds and real tight grounds, and these sort of fanatical support, like like going to Gillingham last week with with no fans. It, yeah. it just might suit us. I think it's going to be an interesting one because it, it'll be a, a slight baptism of fire um, to play Northampton in terms of what you're talking about bottle and you know players are up for it because. 
Keith Curl really only signs players like that. So he's got a, a real specific type of psychological type and a physical type that he signs. And he, if then they don't fit his criteria, he doesn't bother signing them. So all of his his players play play his way. And you know, happy to play it and and you know more than up for it. So it's a good test on Saturday to see if your your players can mix it as well as you know being of of a good quality. So I think that's going to be an interesting one when things get a little bit tough. Are, are you going to yeah up for it? Yeah, and I like to say, I think that was the impressive thing about the result at Gillingham, the first away game. Obviously, a long time since we won an away game, a long time since we won any game. Um, so, so to go to Gillingham and, and sort of really really battle and dominate and, and not have too many chances. I think Akinde missed, it, missed a good chance just after we took the lead. But apart from that, they didn't trouble us at all. So that's yeah. that's that's going to be interesting. So I think if, if you go back to like... Um, July, that that team we had in the championship. If we'd if we'd have come across the, the team from Northampton from the playoff semi-finals, you you, you would have battered us um, because I think I think you would have battered us all over the pitch. Whereas I do think now, like you say, it's going to be an interesting game because I do think we're we're pretty even um, in terms of physicality and everything. Um, and I'd like to think we, we we play some football and then maybe where there might have been an edge. Um, you know, with Northampton having a home crowd, that's obviously not going to be the case now, is it? So, yeah, I think I think it's going to be hopefully we close and then try and nick a goal, like did against um, Shrewsbury, and just try and nick a, a cheeky win. That's what we're sort of known for. We have a bit of a shit house <laughs> reputation. <laughs> so to go against Hull, and even though your your budget isn't as it was, it still will dwarf us. So we're we're happy to sort of beat you however we can, and I reckon. There'll be a couple of your fans on our six fields hill because you can watch a little bit of the game from then. I don't, I don't sort of, uh, you know, recommend it, but uh, <laughs> your fans just trying to get a little view of it. But um, thanks for taking the time to talk to me, and um, we'll sort of uh, have a chat after the game and you know, chew the fat on how it's gone. Hopefully, we've beaten you, but you never know. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully, we've beaten you, but we never know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But thanks for talking to me, mate, and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Tom. Take care, pal. Cheers, mate. Bye, bye. So we'll move on to our regular super stub feature, which is goes down pretty well. We just have a little look at programmes from seasons gone by from a, a Twitter site called Cobbers Programmes, who uh, publishes some really good ones. And this week, obviously, is the 10th anniversary of the game against Liverpool, 2010, where we knocked them out at the League Cup. Just a brilliant night for everyone. Um, so we're going to choose that Cobbers team, which managed to defeat Liverpool. Still don't know how they did it. Um, I just Read the team out for you one second. Bentoza's debut, I believe. It was Bentoza's debut. Um, he just, I think Shouts. he was, was signed for a million pound at one time in his career, wasn't he? I think he went to mm. Newcastle. Newcastle, yeah. Yeah, Chris Dunn. Yeah. Paul Rogers. Marcus Hall. Kevin Thornton. Craig Hinton. Dean Beckwith. Ryan Gilligan. Abdul Osman. Steve Guy. Guinan. Touch Purcell. Andy Hull. Nathaniel Wedderburn, Paul Walker, John Johnson, Courtney Herbert, Billy Mackay, Michael Jacobs, Leon McKenzie, Alex Conn, etc. Seb Harris, Alistair Slow, Charlie Death, and Liam Davis. Uh, <laughs> Shall I do my first? That's a good effort. I just want to. I just want to. Sorry, sorry. Can I just correct the Irish pronunciation there? No, it's Ty. No. It's Ty. It's Ty. He's a little attached to me. I'll do mine. I'm sure. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're all going to pick um, J 
Jacobs. So I'm not going to pick him. I'm going to go for, right, I'm going to go for Kevin Thornton because um, I've got, like, I spent, I got married in Coventry because um, my wife's from Coventry and the pub next to the um, registry office um, where I had my final pint as a, as a bachelor, I've heard through the grapevine that when Kevin Thornton played for Coventry, he uh, spent a lot of time in there. Mm. So I've got... I've got an allegiance with him. Um, I actually really liked him. He was a real character. <laughs> That's one word. I love the way, yeah, I love the way he went to the cop and put his fingers to his lips. That's the kind of um, mad sort of talent he was. But obviously there was that other side that came with him as well. Um, I would also, oh, Courtney Herbert would be my other one. Me and Andy, big Roy the Rovers football comic fans. If there was ever a sort of true life Roy the Rovers story, it's him, isn't it? Local lad playing at a, you know, playing at sort of just Saturday sort of afternoon level. Gets picked for his local team. Has um, has a, um, you know catches the eye of the, the manager he's got of a team with no budget whatsoever and gets in the first team. Played really well, didn't he, for a couple of games. I actually remember Jeff's report for that game where he said, was it the um was it was it the, the, the cobbler's goal? I can't remember which goal it was, but he said that a goal made in Northamptonshire, you know, um, it uh, ah. Beautiful, um, beautiful prose, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Unfortunately, in most World of Over stories end with Roy, you know, getting a last-minute winner. This one ended with him processing um, payments at IPS sell-up rat mills. <laughs> <laughs> and for my third choice, I don't know, I always really like Andy Holt. Um, never never didn't put in a, a, a performance, did he? Always worked really hard. And he was a decent player as well. Really like your interview you did with him, Tom. Yeah, he was he was probably the best header of the ball I've ever seen. He, he just won every battle, and uh, he told mm. me he used to practice it a little bit and stuff, and he was always really good at it. I think in terms of Courtney Herbert, like let's not forget, like he was brilliant that night in Liverpool. He was really good. He was roasting their defenders. His pure pace was just absolutely superb, and he really did did us proud that night. I thought it was really good. I I I remember seeing him coming out of a, a game after I think it was his debut and there's a big buzz about him he'd come from I think he played for Long Buckby and people like that like small sort of Sunday league ties or you know UCL sides and he he definitely had like agents around him there was a definite big buzz around him and people were saying he was gonna Jeff will probably back me up on this people were saying straight away probably too obviously too early but people were saying he was gonna go be sold quite quickly for a lot of money mm. there was a big buzz about him and uh, I remember like a few weeks in I was standing at the bus stop going to the game maybe about two o'clock and um, saw this lad sprinting up the road down, you know, outside South Central. And I was quite late. It was, and I was sort of worried about getting to the game myself. It was Courtney Herbert. He was pelting <laughs> down the road. I was thinking, are you late for the game? <laughs> but say that with his pace, he could probably get there in five seconds. But I just think that's a really lovely thing to, to get a player in that comes through the local ranks. And it just, it's just real. That's how you, you probably can get an identity at the football club. It just gives people a dream, doesn't it? That they too, can uh, play for um, you know Lombardi or whatever and make it in. So I think that's a really good choice. And I, you know, it's just a shame Courtney Herbert didn't make it. Um, we'll go to you now, Jeff. You were at Liverpool that night reporting, is that right? I was in very much so. Yeah, it sort of um, it brought it all back. Um, the, the the midweek celebrations on Twitter. Uh, yeah. I did. Um, I found as well Andy Duran, uh has got this. Have kept the scans of the paper. I've got it somewhere, but I mean, God knows where. 
and <clears throat> so I can read that passage if you'd like, Ian, now, because I've got it on my phone. It said, so I, this is what I wrote, what I wrote. The goal was made in the town league and finished in the Sixfields Academy. Courtney Herbert robbing Danny Wilson on the right and sending in a low cross that Jacobs buried after a major scramble in the six-yard box. Oh, this is <laughs> Michael Jacobs is the one I would definitely take out of this side. Uh, yeah. I think that's going to be a fairly common theme. I always really like, and in the current side as well, I think they could really do with a John Johnson. He could play, I reckon he could play right wing back if it came to it or on the right of the three, because Carl obviously loves the three. John Johnson, I thought as well, was a really good player. Um, but like a lot of these lads, how should we say, uh, had other temptations in his life. <laughs> um, and the, the, the best example of that is my is my third pick, which is Kevin Thornton, who, who was, you know, probably technically one of the best players I've ever seen play for the club, but just not interested in doing the the stuff that you had to do to be a footballer. Um, although that said, I'd went to the first day of pre-season training. I can't remember which year it was, but Thornton was there and they did a bleep test, obviously the dreaded bleep test, and he actually won it. Thorn, Kevin Thornton won it and people were like taking the piss out of him the other players they couldn't believe it like they're yeah. saying is the, is, the, is the CD broken and things like this like how has, how has he won this but see he could do it if he wanted to but he just didn't really want to so he would be my pick but he will always have his memory of this night where he was brilliant for us on that occasion yeah I think if, if Thornton actually reached his potential and he was I think he was highly rated there's some story of Alex Ferguson I can't remember he was he was he was looked at by some big clubs. If he if he was you know reached that level, he would never end up at Cobblers. So maybe it was sort of yeah fitting that he ended up with us in the way he did. And he did produce some brilliant moments. I remember a game at Sixfields where he just weaved his way through and scored an amazing goal. So he's you know in that uh, squad that was you know not too much quality. He, he really stood out. So that's your that's your three, is it? Yeah. So John Johnson, Big Kev, and uh, Crackers, as T was memorably nicknamed in the dressing room, Michael Jacobs. Yeah, Jacobs just goes without saying. Probably are one of our best ever homegrown players. Probably taking out people like mm. Phil Neal, came through the ranks, and um, John Knocker Gregory, people like that. But yeah, Paul uh, Stratford just, as well would be in there. That that in the frame for that, I think. Yeah, it's another one for another night, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, so, yeah, just uh, it'd, be, it'd be nice if Jacobs came back, but he's he's got himself in the club. So yeah, there's there's three good ones. Um, let's go to you, Martin. I know you're not a big fan of this squad, are you? You, you, you don't think there's much quality there? Um. No, no, it's it's why I, I was there that night, and um, oh, you know, best night of my life, you know, without yeah. w- without yeah. doubt. And there's there's a wonderful picture um, after Mackay's goal, where there's me waving my hat around my head like an idiot just above Abd Losman, and yeah, it was it was amazing. But you look at that squad, and you think. Yeah. My, it's a bigger achievement than we thought. <laughs> Michael Jacobs, the obvious one. Yeah, he was really, really good. Really good. Um, don't don't really need to add add anything to that. We've all said Thornton because I think we all see the same thing. Now, we've got anecdotes about the fact that. He liked to drink, he liked to eat, and he was a great footballer. I still remember the ter- our terrible sending off, him getting a straight red against Aldershot on a, on a mm. Friday night or a Tuesday night or a Friday night. Just you're thinking a waste of space. I've seen some of his wonderfulness. 
I'd like to think under under a manager that got into him or understood him, you'd have got a world beater there. My last one, no one's mentioned, but I thought was probably one of the best wing backs I've ever seen is Liam Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last ankles, you know, got injured so often, but when he played, <laughs> boy oh boy, was he good. He was. He could he travel. Was brilliant that night as well. Liverpool yes. was fantastic. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone played out of their skins that night. Yeah. But, Dave, but Davis was just like, he was like that. Until he got injured, he was really, really good. And end up, you know, kicking around the lower leagues. I think end up at Torquay. Um, but I think he's playing under Gary Johnson now. I Don't quote me on that. But I think you'd be right, Torquay. yeah. I think he's at Torquay. I, I especially like Liam Davis because he's one of those unsung sort of players and could just carry the ball really well, which was really important against Liverpool. And we needed to counter-attack and just vent pressure. He was really good at that. So that's the really, really good ones, Martin. My ones uh, I'm going to go for are uh, Paul Rogers, uh, Charlie Deff, and Alex Constantine. <laughs> no, I'm <joking>. uh, <laughs> I'll actually. Sorry. I've, told, I've told this story before, actually. But I'll just tell it again because it just makes me laugh. Uh, I'll go for Alistair Slow just for you know for a joke choice. Alistair Slow, the guy, uh, God knows how he signed for Cobblers. There's various theories, but just you know probably, probably one of the worst players we've ever signed. Didn't look like a footballer. <laughs> And the story is that there was a kid in the away end and he called the players over, he called Alistair Slow over to get an autograph and he had like a pen and paper. And Alistair Slow came over all like, because he was a sub, and he was all like really enthusiastic to get signed an autograph. And the kid went, can you go, can you take this pen and paper and go and get the autograph off the proper players? And if it's true or not, it's probably one of these folklore stories. So I'll go for chart, uh, Alistair Slow because every, every team needs a water boy, don't they? So just stick it in there. Um, I'll go for Billy Mackay, actually. Hasn't really been mentioned yet, but just at that point, very, very slight striker. He's from Corby, I think. Came through the Leicester ranks, but um, just was brilliant, V, Liverpool, and a really sort of hotshot striker, despite being, you know, very slight and needed to fill out and stuff, and then went on to have a brilliant career in Scotland, didn't he? Played for Inverness, Caledonian Thistle, I think, and other clubs. So he's a, he's a very good player. And my third one, I'm going to go for Gilligan, because... Um, he would just slot really well into this. He was quite a modern sort of player, really, like a box-to-box player, and he'd slot really well into this Keith Carroll team that likes to counter-attack. And just speaking and to him in that... He's a trained division. architect. He's a trained architect. He can finish the East End. In fact, he did say that. <laughs> exactly. He was like, if you need any help with it, just give me a shout. But So, yeah, that's our uh, super sub feature done for the Liverpool game. And, yeah, just, it was really nice, as Jeff has said, to just sort of remember that game and it, probably the best game yeah. that everyone went to it. Sorry, Andy, he was off at Galavantin. No, yeah, game of all time, I'd say. Would you say? There's not many who beat that, is there? Jeff? I'd, I wouldn't say so. I, I went in the, when we did the previews and stuff for the game, the, the big cup upset before that was when they beat Arsenal in 1958. And I think I wrote in the um, report that that winning at Liverpool beat that. Um, so as a as a one-off result, there's got to be the biggest result in the history of the club, and definitely, yeah, definitely the most enjoyable game I've been at. I probably would have preferred to have been there as a fan, to be honest. Yeah. Because couldn't you can't really enjoy it as much. Well, you, you just can't enjoy it as much as if you're in the press box. But there was it was it was quite nice being among the Liverpool fans. That was the old stand the press box was in, and it was old wooden stand, mm. and they were like booting the 
booting the um, the side of the press box and the ground in frustration. Because well, at one point, cobblers were like knocking it about quite nicely and olays <laughs> and stuff. And they yeah. were going, it's fucking Northampton. It's fucking Northampton. They're taking a the fucking piss out of us. And like really booting, like booting the wooden stand to pieces. It was, it was beautiful. <laughs> yes, just to wrap up, we'll finish off with our uh, cobblers A to Z picture that Ian came up with. We're on the letter B now. It's going to be a long slog <laughs> to get to Z. <laughs> Which we'll all be. But uh, we'll we get to Q around. and Z. Yeah, we'll quickly go around the group. Um, if you can just sit. <laughs> right. uh, everyone, has anyone, everyone got a B? We'll go with you, Andy. What's your problem B related? Uh, Bristol Rovers 98 playoff um, semi final second leg. Just, we're talking about amazing. I mean, Anfield would have been incredible. Um, but I mean, I can't believe I'll be at a better atmosphere than that night ever supporting the, the Cobblers that night. Um, obviously, 3 1 down um, coming into that second leg. And yeah, just an incredible, incredible night. Um, I was sort of, sort of working, interviewed um, Atkins at the end. And I remember him standing there, you know, in front of, with his arm around his daughter and the wife. Just standing off, um, and just an incre- just an incredible night. The circumstances of it, the fact that I was there with um, up in the oh god up near the ultras, basically the town ultras, so at the end of the west stand because uh, we had press tickets and spent the first twenty minutes just being stared at by some seriously hard characters because we looked like the prawn sandwich brigade basically. I reckon they just recognised you. They're like, is that Andy from Karaoke Challenge on the front of the and Death Row Dogs? That's exactly what it was, mate. Yeah. The, un- the, unspoken, the unspoken between us was that I'd seen the guy do Angels three weeks previously at Fast Soviet. <laughs> he gave you a pass for that. <laughs> they wanted to find out what happened to Petrini and the staffy from uh, Pellinch. If she lived or not, so no, it was was just amazing that night. I mean, I'm sure others, everyone else there or remembers it, you know, it was phenomenal. Best home uh, atmosphere ever, and I doubt that will ever be beaten. It's just a a time when six was rocking, so that was a really good one. Um, Ian, what about you, mate? Yeah, reading through the the tweets you got, I saw uh, VIP Deborah Marshall tweeted Dave Bowen. It's got to be Dave Bowen, hasn't it? For B, probably Mr. Northampton Town. I'll say. Theo Foley is probably the biggest legend player-wise, but Dave Bowen is probably the biggest legend manager-wise um, figurehead for the club, wasn't he? Player, manager, f- club president. Um, if everyone, anyone ever deserved to have a stand named after him, got to be him. That's a good one. There's some good ones, Ian. Um, so, Martin, what's your uh, B, wonderful world of cobblers? Well, I couldn't wait for M for Moonwalk, so my B is Baz Savage. <laughs> a player we signed who I'd seen on Soccer AM, it seemed like every year with its <laughs> wonderful celebrations. And it wasn't going to be a good season. It was, it was Gary Johnson, and I just wanted one of those. I just <laughs> wanted one Moonwalk at Sixfields in Claret and White or one away. Yeah. Turned out he wasn't very good. <laughs> and he didn't get a lucky goal and he never got to moonwalk. I remember that. But that'll stay I'll... with me forever. That... We've got to do a, a, sec- a selection of you. A lot of your stories end up, Martin, and it turned out not very good. Of these ones. Broadly, that, that, that will be how, that, that's how I look at the world. It's like, see, I thought it was good. Turned out not quite to be, to be okay. so, so clever. That's been a 
But and that, that is disguised most Cobblers players, so you know that's perfectly fine. But yeah, uh, Bad Savage, I remember. Do you remember these? Like, yeah, it's, it's a bit pathetic being a Cobblers fan. Wanting, wanting Bad Savage to do a moonwalk. Do you remember there was Gary Johnson had his song about bouncing around the ground, and, like joining in with that, and then looking back and, and thinking, what? Like, what I think? Like, <laughs> I just set up my connection with the club. But <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, Martin. Uh, Jeff. So I've got um. I've got one. In case I'm not here next week, this is a C and a B. Well, fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> so I've gone with Chris Burns. Now, uh, yeah. that you, that might not actually. He's not actually that huge a figure in the annals, the glorious annals of Cob- the rich tapestry of NTFC history. But he was. I think he was Ian Atkins' first signing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, someone, someone will probably text it, uh, tweet in, and say, "Well, no, actually." But I, I think he was Ian Atkins' first sign. So January '95, and he was, um, apart from the lack of Birmingham City connection, he was a, a quintessential Ian Atkins player. You know, never likely to be mistaken for Andres Iniesta, six foot four <laughs> central midfield player with uh, a shaved head who loved to get stuck in. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he, but his arrival really kind of signalled the end of Darren Harmon's career as a Northampton Town central midfielder, who was, you know, five probably five foot seven, uh, still got stuck in, but was a little bit more technical, offered a bit more on the ball perhaps, and was that was kind of the uh, what's the word I'm looking for, sort of the big sea change moment in the Ian Atkins era. And yeah. with it, the Sixfields era and the move away from the county ground. Like to me, Darren Harmon feels like a county ground player, although he did play in the team that was at Sixfields. And that the signing of Chris Burns, a clear statement of intent from Ian Atkins about what the team was going to be like under his watch and the move away from the all the sort of... Uh, ironic glamour associated with the county ground and this brave new Sixfields world. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it's sort of a dawn of a new era, wasn't it, really? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, he was there for a few years, actually, to be fair, Burns. He's three or four years at the club. And he'd played for Portsmouth in the FA Cup semi-final, I think, a few mm. years. I going to say, that Liverpool um, semi yeah. in 92 at Highbury. He was in that team, wasn't he, Burns? Yeah, so he was, he was no mug. But, you know, that seemed quite symbolic that he would go and sign that type of player. Yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember that sort of period quite well. Yeah. Just call it no-nonsense, shall we? Yeah, shaved heads. No-nonsense, yeah. <laughs> so, my B, I forgot to do this last time, I didn't do the A, but uh, my B is uh, for Banana. Now, what player in, do you reckon that's in homage to that played for <laughs> uh, Is it a certain those... former Cheltenham Town centre-forward? Yeah, Julian Alsop, who, and I've actually been on Eurosport website and given a couple of clips to uh, Andy's employer. Uh, and I quote about Julian Alsop, because I'm going to have to quote, because I'm not going to say that, that this happened myself. I'm just reading what they said. Alsop, 31, at the time of the incident, in inverted commas, reportedly started whipping the naked 16-year-old with a towel, then chased him onto a training pitch and attempted to indecently assault him with a banana. <laughs> this didn't happen at Cobblers, did it, Jeff? It happened at another club. No. It, yeah, it was. I, I think it was Cheltenham, the one it was. It was whoever he was at before he came to us. 
it was Oxford, Oxford and they, okay. I think they terminated his contract and then mm. within about a week Coldwood signed him. There you go, yeah. Yeah. We'll sign anyone, won't we, tonight? So B for banana. They just say no more on that one. And uh, apparently it's it seems to be true. It says Eurosport said it's true. So yeah, B for banana. Um, I'm gonna read some of the ones out that some of our loyal listeners, straight Twitter people have tweeted in. Uh, let's have a look. So there's Mark Mould for B. He's gone for he's at Mark Mould. He's gone for Bobby Barnes and his free chip sponsorship with a local chippy. Now this is probably more Martin and you know Martin's era. Can you remember a, ch- a sponsorship with a local chippy for Bobby Barnes, Martin? I I don't. But um, I can't, I can't, I'll be down with the chip shop sponsoring me. West something. I I vaguely remember this now. I think this was in the Cron. I think. Like a local chippy owner said, for every goal you score, you'll get free cod and chips or something like that. That's just, <laughs> just pulled something out of my memory from 1989, that is. I, that, I think, Wouldn't that be great that's, if, we, that's, if that's we played Friday night games all the time? It'd be like, hey, so you, you bang a goal in and yeah. you have free fish and chips. Yeah. It's just a different that's... game now, isn't it? Can you imagine it now? Arsenal have just announced that you know, if uh, a bag of scores tonight, he's going to get a free chip. That is yeah. sensational. And I'm going to I, think, I think Ian's onto something there. I think that is, I think that's right. <laughs> really digging deep So, yeah, deep let's bring back that back. Um, uh, free fish and chips if if, uh, if Harry Smith scores. Um, Ralph, uh, I can't even say his Twitter handle. It's just uh, incomprehensible. Uh, he's gone for bipolar. Say no more. That's what Cobblers leads you to. Uh, Oli, NTFC, has gone for Bayo. I can find that sort of cheating a little bit because we had a bit of an A last week. Uh, <laughs> Quick Whittington. He's a bit of a wit, obviously. Uh, <laughs> tweeted us Bolton away 2008, which was just a great game. Uh, mm. Bayo, I can find starred. That was a great League Cup performance. Uh, Jonathan Hillier has just lowered the tone with George Best. Oh, groan. God, we'll never live that time. Um, Keith Buckby has gone for Mickey Bell. Yeah. A, nice. Underrated player. <laughs> is he a player that actually counts as a good player for you, Martin, or is he going to tail off with not very no. good? <laughs> no, no, did well, did well. Mickey Bell, Steve Brown, probably very few around that era were much good, and they were yeah. they were very good. Sure, that's true. Um, Daniel Drage, regular little contributor. He's he's gone for Barry Richardson. The uh, psycho goalie. Do you remember him, guys? Oh, I remember Barry Richardson in the 40s proposing to his girlfriend. (laughs) Come on now, man. It was a Friday night. I don't even know if we were playing the next day. I wonder if he remembers it. Probably not. He got down on one knee in where? In a nightclub? No, 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 no. no. It was in a disco bar. He went up to the DJ booth and did it. Were you there? Yes. Oh, my God. What a moment. <laughs> At least this is what I remember. I mean, I'd have only been 18, 19 at the time. I'd probably had three or four diamond whites by this point. <laughs> Which one was 40s? About two-thirds of the way down Bridge, Bridge Street. Bridge Street, yeah. Oh. It next to Sad- <gasps> next, between, you go Sadler's, next the to Sadler's. Club, and then 40s. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Do you reckon this Jeez. actually happened, or it was like an apparition? You know, you was hallucinating after too many. Uh, um, I, I'm pretty sure it happened. 
Wow, that's a story and a half. We need to find out more about this. And are they still together? The mind boggles. Did she say yes? Like I have no whole... memory other than the proposition <laughs> from the DJ booth. <laughs> well, that's or at least the DJ half. announcing that he had done it. Did he drop the ring? Boom, boom. I, I, I wouldn't hey. have knelt down in forties. I wouldn't have knelt down in forties. It would have been a pretty mucky floor. <laughs> Uh, it's a great story. Um, Phil Garlic has treated us Balti Pies, which is a bit of a connoisseur's choice because the Balti Pies and Six Swords are actually really nice. Um, they said no. They've got a little bit of Nigella seeds on top for the uh, the chefs out there. Just bring up the It's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> Getter Austin uh, has treated us Guillem Bowser, which is yeah, another connoisseur's choice for players. I thought he was a hell of a player. Jeff, do you remember him? Yeah, brilliant player. He actually, in that, that 4-3 home defeat to Hereford, when he did the cross, the Rabona cross, didn't he? For their one of their goals. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, he was good. And he was actually quite an important player that year they stayed up. Yeah. I think. Uh, when he right. late on a... Um, Burton Albion. Yeah. 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 But I think he, je- he was one of, them, he's one of them forwards, didn't score like a Martin Smith, but maybe not so good. A forward doesn't score, but does all the right things and makes things happen. Mm. I think he was one of these uh, very rare uh, intelligent footballers. I think he was doing some sort of degree at the same time, maybe back in Wales, Swansea University or something. He's like, uh, I think he might have given up football to pursue a career in something else, which is quite sensible, uh, but a really good player. Um, uh, Paul Riley. Ah, oh, it's Paul Riley. Dr. Tool, Paul Riley, Jeff. Paul oh, Riley, the, the one and only. Yeah, he Salt treated him <laughs> Who did he say, from, sorry? Uh, he's t- Derek Banks, the Cobblers chairman. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he was uh, made his millions in tobacco. Like, uh, mm. He did him back, yeah. So that's one of Jeff's old acquaintances. Uh, Mark Josiah has come up with a club story, and uh, I'll just read it out with verbatim. Um, Barnet away, so he's gone for Barnet, I think, the day after we went into administration. Oh, in yes. I was there. Better- Manager and players sacked on the Friday, got hammered on the Friday night in Network nightclub in Wellingborough, which is no doubt a uh, <laughs> Northampton TV karaoke challenge venue. Just Network nightclub in, in Wellingborough, the mind boggles about what went on in there. Slept round some random girl's house, which I think is a polite way of putting something. Woke up saying I had to get to Barnet. She was like, what the... I never saw her again. Now, what a, what a, what a story for the ages, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine ne- uh, Network in Wellingborough made 40s look like the original Studio 54 in New York. I wonder if there's a goalie in there proposing in Network. <laughs> I, I, do, I do remember that that day at Barnet because um, we were we were down the side. I don't know if anyone else was there. We were down the side and pretty, they sacked everyone or made them redundant. Um, the day before, and it was just a team full of youngsters. Nothing. It was a three-nil defeat, but it was one of them where the everyone knew we we were absolutely buggered. So you could, you know, no one was booing the players. The atmosphere was really, really. Everyone was like cheering on, encouraging them. We got yeah. spanked three-nil, but it was like it, it kind of that bit where a bad situation brings people together. Yeah, I think they didn't. Didn't they come to the away end at the end, and there was like quite, quite emotional sort of scenes. You didn't know what was going to happen from one game to the next, sort of thing. Um, I, I think. I mean, I'd have been. What year would it? It was '93 when I'd have been about 20. So, um, yeah, I'd I would have had maybe two lagers before the game, so I was probably a little bit pissed. <laughs> 
I think this is the uh, the, the night where Barry Richardson proposed. It just uh, it's all falling into place, my home. And when I by this point, I graduated to the racehorse and the cool people. Uh, it's, it, Barry Richardson's a cool guy. You know, what I mean, get, isn't it quite cool and like suave and sophisticated and very romantic to, to get proposed to someone in uh, in a nightclub in Northampton? Or, or, it's about Bridge Street, yes. <laughs> right ahead of his time <laughs> we'll call it a night because i'm gonna go and uh i'm gonna tweet um barry richardson see if it's true and hopefully the love still shines <laughs> if it's not true i'm just gonna play martin so martin can deal with it but uh, <laughs> thanks cool. guys for talking and we'll talk to you all next week take it easy cheers all no cheers, cheers bye bye see ya bye bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.